Welcome to the Paradise Paradox. My name is Aaron Battle. My name is Kurt Robinson. Today we run through a uh, second part of the economic collapse. So crisis, no crisis. We talk about Bitcoin, the possible role of Bitcoin in the future, money supply. Are they printing too much money and what effect is that going to have on inflation? And how does that compare to deflationary currencies? Yep. Possible future option. New technology, um, new financial technology, and we're talking about perhaps how the pension structure of many first world countries is going to act as a trigger to set off some very bad economic situations. Where is your pension fund? Yeah. Are you in sound money? Have you got your assets in your back pocket? Or are they somewhere else? Did your 401k or superannuation put all your money locked up in the share market where you can't touch it until you're 65 or 70 or 75? Are they going to keep pushing the date of retirement back indefinitely? Who knows? Maybe you'll never see that money. And we get into that and more. So press like, press subscribe. Subscribe on iTunes, Pocket Cast, YouTube. Press like on Facebook. And toss us a few bones if you like the show. We suggest $1 per episode that you like at donate.theparadiseparadox.com. Check it out. Press like on YouTube. Press like on Facebook. Press subscribe on YouTube, iTunes, Pocket Casts. Just a reminder, we're not financial advisors and we don't know your personal situation. So don't take anything we say as financial advice. Enjoy the show and show your support donate.theparadiseparadox.com. Welcome to The Paradise Paradox. My name's Kurt Robinson. My name's Aaron Battle. So today we're going to be addressing the concept of a coming economic collapse again. Uh, we're going to talk about whether there actually is an economic collapse coming, um, some possible uh, methods which <laughs> it might be coming, uh, some things which might cause it. And we're also going to be talking about mm, some current economic factors relating to China, other things relating to the world economy. Basically a part two. I, don't, I just feel like everything's changing so fast it's, mm. uh, and it's in, it's in our interest. So... You know, we'll cover it again. What ideas do you have about it? Well, I mean, what, what kind of got me on this whole track again was, uh, you know, the news that there's, a, there's going to be a new, uh, I guess, a little competition to mm. the SWIFT international transfer system. Mm. Um, those that aren't up on that, when you transfer money from bank account to bank account internationally, um, it's probably most common that they, you're using the SWIFT system. Yeah. And it, uh, as of, I believe, last week, it looks like there is a um, alternative that um, China's set up called uh, CIPS, which is, um, well, I guess it's basically a Chinese version. Are you, you much aware on that? No, I've, I've heard a little bit about it, but no. Have you, have you ever used Swift? Um, I have. Yeah. I mean, not recently, but uh, maybe about a year ago. Okay. Pretty my first trip when I transferred, I transferred money across. Um, and it was because it was just, I don't know, it just, I never thought about it. I just transferred money because I wanted money to be here when I arrived. Mm. And it seemed more than just, you know, your average, um, I guess, normal expenses. Right. I wanted to set a few things up and it, you know, required, a, you know, a, a transfer. 
So, you know, I didn't think about it. I just went to the bank and said, how do I do the transfer of money? They gave me a form. I filled it out. The exchange rate seemed about what, what I was advertised to, be, to believe. So I was like, okay, cool. Go. Okay. Okay. But it took, I mean, I'm guessing it took about a week to actually get. <laughs> they, they told me three days and it was really about, uh, no, it was, yeah, it was about a week, including the, the weekend. But okay. I mean, it wasn't that uncomfortable. It was just that, you know, is this going to work? I've never used it before. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, a friend of mine had a problem when he was trying to wire some uh, some cash to a bank in the Czech Republic. He was trying to wire it to the, the Bitcoin exchange, BTC-E, uh, so he could buy some Bitcoins. And uh, he, he went to the bank and they were like, yeah, you know, it's going to it'll cost you like... They were giving him some ridiculous charges. I think it was, I don't know, thirty or forty dollars, something like that, for an amount of, of uh, a few thousand dollars. And uh, and then they they told him it would it would be you know three to five business days or whatever nonsense. Uh, it got to about uh, seven business days, and it still hadn't arrived in his account. And so he went into the bank and said, "Well, this is ridiculous. I mean, we had an agreement." You haven't done what you said you were going to do, so can you can you cancel it? And they said, "Well, we can cancel it, but uh, it'll take another three to five business days to get back into your account." And uh, of course, the bank on the receiving end might charge you for cancelling it. So this is the level of inefficiency that we're dealing with here. We're basically talking about a system where they're transferring numbers from one country to another and they can't do it instantly which is you know which is what we expect in in this modern era um and after that of course he was like now i see why bitcoins are so important <laughs> uh well yeah text message or uh you know instant messenger or we're all quite accustomed to mm. send the message and click go and it's done mm. um in hindsight i mean the the rate that i got was appalling mm. uh, it, it's just you know you, you, you need to get some business done and you need transfer and you think it's going to take three or four days and you hear that and he's trying to work out you know how long it's going to take um the the, the pressure of i just want it, i just want it done already mm. and uh and then you walk past every bank and they've got you know your exchange rates they're advertised to you so you just assume that's what it is most people wouldn't consider to, to actually go online and check you know real rates compared to bank rates um it just it's not uh, it's not an everyday calculation. Yeah. yeah, but the thing is, I mean, if you put in, say, yeah, I type into Google 100 AUD Australian dollars in, in USD US dollars, it's going to come up not with the the rate that's available for for you and me, but it'll come up with the rate that the banks get normally, the official rate, the list rate. Which, which is, yeah, that's what the banks get from each other, but that's never what we're going to get because we don't buy dollars wholesale. Well, I, I don't even look at that anymore because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the Bitcoin bandwagon now. And it's, <laughs> it's like, you know what, I, any country I go to now, it's going to be, um, well, I, I don't know how, I'm trying to think, how would I do that? I mean, most of my savings now are in Bitcoin. Mm. Um, oh, at least, you know, my, my active Savings. What, what I'm going to, if I'm going to travel, where I'd be pulling money from, mm. because there's no way I'm going to be using their their old school system. Mm. It's just not going to happen. It, it's it's as bad as trading and you know going to the airport and trading your cash 
for a for a rate, and of course there's ridiculous fees and service charges on that as well. Mm. I don't know. I don't even know how those businesses are still there. <laughs> I guess con- convenience, but you know who uses cash? Wow, those drug dealers. Every, everybody in Mexico uses cash. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just said it. Yeah. All right, so that I mean that, that's that's talking about transfer and international money. But um, I mean, if we, if we jump into to Bitcoin, um, it was interesting. I noticed that it seems to be it's like uh, everyone's waiting for the next exchange to have a to have a little hiccup or, or issue. Like there's so many exchanges now. No, and, but some, uh, who who is waiting for exchanges to have uh, hiccups? I, Why would you say that? <laughs> um, no, it was just that you know you. Yeah. I, I think well, I mean, talking to anyone's got Bitcoin. I mean. Uh, you should probably look at securing that. Like there's mm. so many different options now. I know I've been in the Bitcoin world for a couple of years and I mean, I've still got bits and pieces of Bitcoin from, you know, old trading sites that are floating mm. around and I spent a good half day trying to track down all my bits and pieces and, uh, you know, to put them into a safer place mm. because you just, I mean, if you don't keep track of it, there's so many new wallets and options now. So, I mean, you know, why wait to be goxed? If you have got so many new wallets open, yeah, and you and you had a problem with that, not with Matt, not with MT Gods, but with a different site. No, it was a little while back, but um, you know, Mint Pal was was one that you know you, you just don't think about it. And you know, I thought at the time, you know, you store a few bitcoins offline, and then I thought, okay, well, um, I still want to be actively trading bitcoins, so mm. you, um, you you mix it around a little bit and you keep a few over there and a few in this exchange, but then you know, either way, you lose. You lose one Satoshi or one Bitcoin, you, you're still upset. It's like <laughs> it's just it's not good for the for the whole movement. Mm. Yeah. Well, of course, the thing is, it's still an emerging technology, really cu- cutting edge, and of course, there is still some problems to be ironed out. So, uh, yeah, you can get Bitcoin, but you have to be pretty savvy about how you secure it. Uh, well, I'm just saying there's options, so uh, educate yourself. Yeah. But, um, well, you can get a high-security wallet like Armory. So say you uh, what what you would do if you want to be really secure with your Bitcoins, uh, you install a new operating system. So you might download Tails or uh, an, uh, I forget what the other one is called. There's, uh, there's another version of Linux, which is meant to be really secure and anonymous. And then you would install a, a Bitcoin client like Armory on there and you would use it to generate a, a wallet, a paper wallet, and print it out, and then you can put it in a safe deposit box or put it somewhere where it's, it's really secure. And that way you can send Bitcoins to that wallet, but nobody will actually be able to access them unless they can find your paper wallet. Which is kind of like your, your paper access form because it's got all your details, it's got your, your codes and everything you get into. I mean, that, that's the best way to, um, to make sure you're secure. But I mean, it's pretty hardcore to go through all that process and install them. But I mean, we're talking, we're talking long-term, long-term options. So, you know, if you want to lock them away, and you've got no intention of, of using them. That's definitely the best way to yeah. go about it. But um, what, are, what are all these people that, that don't know why you do that? Like, there's no crisis going on. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, is there, I mean, last time we t- we talked about a possible currency crisis, like with the with the United States, just in the, in the past few months, like in December 
of 2014, uh, there was a problem where a lot of currencies lost value. Every every currency lost value against the U.S. dollar, and uh, it it seems like, well, around that time, in Mexico at least, the the price of silver, if you want to obtain actual physical silver, like buy a libertad, um, then it actually it went up about 180 percent. Uh, so I, I assume that's the reason for that is because when when the currency started crashing, everybody said, "Oh, okay, I guess I need a bit more silver." Yeah, it uh, wasn't. It wasn't just. Uh, I mean, I'm not talking your, your silver dealer. I'm talking. Mm-hmm. I'm talking going to Banco Azteca. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the the prominent silver Libertad dealer in in Mexico, where where everyone go to your to your bank to go pick up a silver coin. Uh, yeah, it jumped. It was, it was a good jump, but yeah, it was basic supply and demand. I think now it's gone back down. It's still higher than what it was before then, but, um, but it's gone back down to something like, I mean, in, a, in an Australian dollar uh, perspective, you're still looking at $31, which is still, you've got a premium of probably at least 25% on what you can buy normal one-ounce coins for in most other you know, international spots. Mm. Um, but, I mean, that, that's the cost of doing business. You want, you want silver in Mexico? I mean, people are, I think, a little more silver savvy in Mexico, silver coins and collecting or stacking your silver is pretty more common here than, than your other countries that are being at. Um, but, I mean, you can see that through the price. Well, um, I, I did see someone selling Libertadas for like 600 pesos the other day, but it wasn't at a coin dealer. It, it was at the, uh, uh, the jewelry center at San Juan de Dios. And they've probably got people buying. <laughs> I guess so, as collectibles, though, not as a, like a way to save their wealth or something. It's just like something fun to get. Maybe they drill a hole in it and put it on a bracelet. Well, either way, they got sound money, <laughs> real money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's uh, okay. Let's just jump in from that to mm. um, back to the, the currency, the currency wars, and the and the drops. It all seemed to be. I mean, this is about a month later, and it's all. It appears to have settled out. Mm. Like back to normal again, mm. but uh, I mean, I'm not too sure what's gonna what's gonna cause that to to jump again. I know, I mean, Europe's there's always questions about you know who owes who gold in uh, in, in the Europe space and and their issues with Greece. But um, I'm not sure if that's even going to be enough to um, to upset, I guess, people that are living there, the day to day life that mm. um, you know that they've got no idea that there's this possible crisis, or you know, just find it hard to believe that there's an issue with money. Their currency and their bank accounts in the first place. Mm. Yeah, that's right, and that's the the strong power of the normalcy bias. Like if you've grown up in somewhere where, yeah, you, I mean, the currency loses money every year, and you know that, but it's it loses money. It, sorry, it loses value very slowly over the years. Uh, then you're not going to expect that tomorrow. Then maybe it's only going to have half the value. But maybe that's something we'll see. The, the other perspective, I was listening to Robert Kiyosaki's book, uh, the, the audio book version of uh, Rich Dad's Prophecy. And in that book, he, he goes, uh, I believe this book was written around 2002. And what he talks about there is some other uh, economic factors which can come into this. And he was predicting that in around 2016, there's going to be an economic collapse at significant proportions. And he wasn't talking about because of currency. He was talking about because of the way that 
uh, superannuation and 401k plans are structured and the, the laws around them are structured. So the, the thing is, uh, for many years in the United States and, and in some other countries too, uh, the way it worked with retirement was your employer would fund your retirement so they would have to save uh, thousands or millions of millions of dollars to cover their employees' pension plans when they're retired and uh, the, the employees would receive those benefits until they died. Um, but that, uh, that system got changed because uh, there was a whole whole bunch of problems things were happening like kind of corrupt or, or a, a little bit ethically questionable deals or things where uh big businesses would look at other companies and they would see these smaller companies where the best the biggest part of their business was actually the pension plan that they'd got saved away for their employees so they would buy these smaller businesses suck or embezzle the money out of the pension plans and then leave this dry empty shell of a business so a lot of people were stuck without pensions when they were tied uh so so it got changed in, into the system which is uh what what a lot of countries have now superannuation or 401k or ira plans and this is where the employer matches the contribution so um in a, in Australia, at least, I mean, the the employer has to put at least nine percent, or now it might be ten percent, into a superannuation plan. Ten percent of your salary or wage into a superannuation plan. And um, in the United States, I don't think it's mandatory, but the employer will still match everything you put into your superannuation. Uh, the problem with this is. The superannuation and the, the 401k, the IRA, they normally uh, normally they don't have hard assets like real estate or gold or silver or something physical, some physical commodity like oil or, or something else like that. Normally they have paper assets, paper, just paper, <laughs> uh, like stock share, shares, uh, shares in companies, uh, bonds. And yeah, certificates, things like that. Uh, so, and and even cash, they normally hold quite a large percentage in cash, like 10, 10 or 20% of, of your portfolio. It's easy to check. You can jump yeah. into your super and have a look at how it's, well, most of them are online now. And you can have a look at where, you know, what percentages of how much money you have and then what percentages are allocated to different types mm. of assets. Mm. And uh, I mean, once you, once you do a little scratching and investigating into what is, What's a hard asset? What's a, I guess, what's worth nothing? Uh, <laughs> you uh, you begin to wonder that you're not sitting so safe. And uh, I know most of my friends, when we when you first sign up and you first start your job, it's not even something you think about. It's like you know when I'm when I'm 65, I might have access to this to this money, yeah. and, and that's all government controlled. I mean, you know, that's they're lifting that age higher and higher all the time, or at least mm. talking about it because of this issue you're talking about. Mm. I mean, if we're all pulling our money out at the same time, then of course, you know, something's going to give way. But yep. that's not even the problem. You're talking about market, paper markets being inflated because there's nowhere else to put this value. Exactly. Yeah. So, so the, the stock market for years has been artificially pumped up because of all this money flowing in from superannuation. And next year, 2016, 
a lot of the baby boomers are going to start to retire and they're, they're all sitting on, on these type of plan uh, 401ks and superannuation. And yeah, that's going to mean a, a lot of that money is going to be taken out of this stock market. And I'm not really sure what the effects of that will be. High sales in wheelchairs and accessibility, new, new types of cars and things. I mean, I'm talking a little, the, the old the cars. <laughs> the issue is these are old people. So, you know, these people aren't going to be the first people out to riot when, they, when all the banks just fall over and they don't want to give your money away. Mm. Oh, I mean, give your money back. Because it is your money. I mean, you worked for it, right? Yeah. Or yeah. is... Or well, is it, well, that's, a, <laughs> I, I that's mean, what they always say in superannuation ads in Australia. It's your money, you know. Make sure you take care of your super. Find the plan that's right to you, for, because after all, it's your money. But we'll and, tell and you I'm like, well, hang it. on. What do, what what do you mean? It's my money. I mean, you you're taking it off me. You're not allowing me to touch it. You're not allowing me to manage it. And <laughs> and you get to tax me when I take yeah, it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, in what sense is it really my money? I mean, ownership is supposed to have, <laughs> supposed to grant me the right of exclusive control. That's what ownership is. But you know, governments don't like to twist words like that. <laughs> what's, um, the, what's the term they use? Um, a bail-in. Yeah. Bail-in. Bail-in, I, yeah. I, I, can so see you mean, when, I can see that yep. happening. Yeah. Or in Australia? Well, I mean, all the banks are connected. Mm. I, I, don't think it really, I don't think it really matters if we isolate one country. Yeah. Um, I think if, if one country was to do a big enough, a big enough country was to do a bail-in, then you're going to feel that effect across the whole world. Mm. In Australia, I'm sure they'd give it a better name. They might market <laughs> it differently. <laughs> I mean, Australia's experienced before. I mean, we've come across where banks have limited how much money you can pull out on, mm. a, on a day-to-day basis. I mean, they don't advertise that, but that, that's happened because banks have come too close to the line of, of capital, of hard capital they actually need to hold. Mm. Um, I mean, that, that happened with NAB only, only in the last, what, 2014. Right. Um, but, I mean, you have, to, you have to look for it. I mean, yeah. none of the big media companies covered it. And, I mean, that, that's kind of the, the first signs of, of cracks in this, in this big international system mm. or, or the fact that the Commonwealth Bank, I mean, you look at the, the, the shareholders and you realize who actually owns, you know, these, these strong Australian banks not you guys. <laughs> well, who, do, who who owns the banks? Well, a lot, a lot of people have shares in blue chip companies in Australia, like Commonwealth Bank. And- well, I guess in, in that respect you do, but then you've got to question whether you own your super to start with. I mean, I don't mm. expect to see it before I'm 70. Yeah. I think if, uh, if the, the politics go the way they are, then they're going to they're push that age a little bit further. I mean, we all are. I mean, we're all going to see 100, right? I mean, we've got, we've got advancements in, in technology and the health industry. Um, and I think people, as a, as a trend, to want to take care of yourself better, uh, or at least be uh, conscious of what you're consuming. I mean, that, that's a start. So if we're all living longer, of course they're going to push the, the super age back, and it's not in the interest of any country to lower it. I mean, mm. why, why do you want people using up um, possibly the only asset that a particular currency might have? Yeah, and the the asset which is keeping the share market, the stock market, propped up. So who, yeah, <laughs> if yeah, there's a lot of powerful interests, a lot of powerful people, and it's in their interests to maintain that bubble 
as long as they can so they can hold onto their money or find a better way to store their money uh, rather than keeping in the stock market and getting screwed uh, when everybody starts taking their money out. And so and that, that's with the assumption that, that there's going to be more work and that everyone's going to keep contributing mm. because if you've got a large population pulling money out and there's not enough going in, well, we're back where we started. So you took out or you're, you're planning on organizing a self-managed super fund. I've had a couple, I had a couple of super funds that were kind of floating around and I know there's been a big push in the last couple of years to consolidate your super and of course, I think Australia's got, uh, I'm not going to quote any numbers, but we're talking possibly, well, billions of floating. Uh, billions of super funds? No, I'm going to say there's at least millions of dollars that are, that are people super. Okay. That are, yeah, <laughs> they, no, there definitely isn't billions of super funds. But there's millions of dollars <laughs> that aren't allocated, that are kind of just floating, you know, dead accounts. Mm. I mean, Australia's renowned for just having floating money where people, I mean, there's, there's such a high population of jumping jobs to jobs. And for the biggest part, yeah. you, you had to go with the super fund that was industry related. I mean, I never had a choice. My first super really? and not when I first started in retail, I mean, you know, I was just high school, you, you get a job at a local supermarket, seemed like the thing to do at the time. And you're, you're allocated. Yep. Feel like this form for your super account. It was a uh, retail super. Yeah, but it wasn't like you you were forced to go with that one. It's just that you weren't informed and had no idea what to do with it. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure at the time. Okay. I mean, like we're talking nearly 15 years ago. Okay. That, you know, you, you know, most industries you have there, you had the fund and you just went with that, which is why hmm. I think most Australians might, well, I, mean, I had three. And I haven't really changed that many jobs. So people that done more jobs earlier and, you know, people that are older than me would have had a lot more, a lot more dollars in their super and across more super accounts. So mm. there's, there's been a campaign to consolidate all that. But now uh, there's been a trend to, um, I can see the options or like the companies that are supporting self-managed super funds mm. or at least uh, super funds that give you access to at least manage a little bit. Mm. Uh, I mean, there's, there's options of where you want to put your, your funds. And it might be something simple like, you know, high risk, low risk, but you can choose those options within your industry funds or your traditional super yeah. um, if you're not keen to go and self-manage. But, I mean, that, that's an option now. So anyone that knows anything, I think, would want to investigate where their super is and at least scratch their head with the option to self-manage because there's so many options now, it's not that difficult. Mm. And, uh, I mean, there's so much literature on investment. It's like, uh, I mean, we were, just, we were discussing the difference between um, being able to allocate money to a cheap asset, mm. a cheap solid asset, and then when that, I mean, when that goes up in value, you actually have more of the cheaper asset, which is now worth more, and then you invest it in whatever's cheap at that time, and you just keep rolling over assets. I mean, try and forget about the money and think of how much value you're actually yeah. holding. So you're, you're thinking of doing something like that with uh, Swiss metals? Well, Swiss metals were, um, I mean, they, they're actually quite innovative, mm. um, as in they've got uh, options to hold holdings of strategic metals. Um, we're talking metals that are, that are going to be used in, in high-end uh, high technology, in um, aviation and industry-type metals that are consumable yeah. products or usable products for the products they're producing. And, um, and because of there's limited 
access to these metals or a limited production per year, when there's a new product that's high in demand, that requires these metals, and these metals become high demand, obviously that sends the price obviously much higher as well. So if you're invested in these metals, um, which is often, well, I mean, up until now, there hasn't been any option to really uh, to do that easily, where Swiss metals offer has options for that. And, you know, you can easily trade in and out of, uh, of different packages of metals, which uh, is something I'm interested in because it just seems that having a holding of actual metals that are in demand seems to be better than maybe, you know, blue chip shares that are in inflated companies. Mm. Which is, again, the paradise paradox. Watch us on YouTube, like us on Facebook. Watch us on YouTube, like us on Facebook. Tweet us on Twitter and listen to us on iTunes or Pocket Casts. We're talking about investing in, in assets, hard assets, opposed mm-hmm. to um, papers and certificates and receipts for who knows what um, in Ponzi schemes, essentially. <laughs> uh, well, uh, you got some good examples of, of hard assets, I mean, other than uh, bars and coins of gold and silver. Okay. Well, I've been listening recently again to Robert Kiyosaki, and of course, he, he loves to talk about real estate. He also, talk, um, he also talks about making your own business, uh, developing it as an asset, something that makes you money, and maybe you can bring someone else to manage it or maybe you can sell it when it gets to a sufficient size. And I think that's that's an interesting idea because it's something, uh, yeah, it's a little different to how people regularly think of investing or buying assets because it's something that you can have control over. You can... Uh, you can change the direction of the company and make it more efficient as opposed to buying stocks or, sh- or bonds or something like that where you have approximately zero control. With shares, you get the option to vote in the CEO every general election, but uh, that's <laughs> that's about it. Uh, so that's that's interesting. Um, but yeah, with the with the real estate, he talks about how his normal strategy is he looks at at least 100 properties and out of those 100 properties, he will maybe buy one. And if that one falls through, then he will go start looking for another 100 properties. And it seems like we were just discussing this before and, and you were saying like in a, in a certain neighborhood, you were like, no, there's no way I would buy there, you know, they're too, too overpriced. And I, and I said, well, you know, the idea is that you keep looking. You don't just get a like look at, uh, look down a street and see there are three houses for sale and look at their prices and say, I'm not going to buy here. It's about looking at things in more detail to to some extent because sometimes you can look at a property and look at the price and look at the rentals for the area and say, well, no, that's just not going to work. Uh, but sometimes it's a bit, um, sometimes it'll be borderline and sometimes it'll be a real bargain. Yeah, you, something interesting that you mentioned was that, you're looking at 100 houses and you might not buy any. Yeah. But the fact is you're making contacts, you're meeting people, you're getting yeah. to know the real estate 
agents that are working in the area. Yep, you course, get to know the language, the, the vocabulary, which is very important. Yeah, and, and you can even, uh, you know, put your name down on shortlists and, and mm. things because, I mean, there's, there's, uh, it's quite, quite often the ones that you're going to buy aren't the ones that are advertised in the paper or online. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you, you, need to be, you need to be out there in the streets. Especially here in Mexico because <laughs> no <laughs> you, you have to, like, ask your, your brother. Your brother has a friend. Your, your brother's friend has a cousin and he's selling a property. <laughs> and, Mexico, and, Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> and, you, he, you know, if he wants to move it real quick, maybe you get a bargain. Uh, that's <laughs> well, I was surprised that even though I originally thought that land in Mexico was cheap, and it is depending on, on where you're looking, mm. but uh, anywhere in the cities where you have working class people that are now able to get cheap credit, is mm. inflating the prices of, of like new real estate. The cheap mm. credit usually implies expensive asset. Um, yeah, that's, it, be, that's because when people have quick access to credit, they can go in and borrow a house. Maybe, well, in, in some cases, they can't even afford the, the payments, but let's say, you know, people couldn't afford the payments, but the, um, the interest rate is quite low, so they can buy more property at that price because the, the, the loan is cheap and that means there's more demand for buying property instead of renting. The system here is a little bit different to what I'm, to what I'm used to in Australia, the way mm. people borrow money. Somehow they can, you, you gain points through, a, through their, their social healthcare system. And yeah, it's, you mean like the social security system or something? Yeah, it's, well, yeah, it's like that. It's like if you're, uh, everyone that has a job, they're... Mm. The, the company has to pay into a, like a, a collective healthcare, um, which seems pretty straightforward. But you collect points on how long you've been working for in your healthcare, and that puts you in a different stage as to how much money you can borrow. Okay. I don't really understand it. No, I've I got no idea either. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is what I picked up on, on a car ride a couple of days ago when we're talking about you know, new estates and you know, where I'd buy and you know, whatever, mm. which it seems ridiculous because these companies that, are, that they look at your points on your healthcare statement hmm. and give you X amount of money and then it's all about, well, you've been working for X years, you qualify for these real estate areas, these suburbs. <laughs> and it's really that machine. It's like, you know, you're allocated to, you know, your level of, you know, social economic level. Hmm. So, you know, there, there's your status, you're just put in. And the, the disgusting part of that, all that is that the banks that are associated with giving you credit and looking at the system, these houses are, are totally inflated because you're buying blocks of land maybe eight meters frontage, 15 meters deep, and they're all exactly the same. You fly into Guadalajara, you can see these suburbs. They're like the Sims, <laughs> and they're all exactly <laughs> the same. cutter houses made out of tiki-taki. Exactly. But it's worse than that because they're tiny and they're all jammed together, and, and you're paying just a ridiculous amount of money. It's like 150 Let's talk dollars, $150 per square meter compared to um, something like $7 per square meter that you could find half an hour away if you have it's enough se- capital. What, $7 per square meter. You're not talking about developed property. You're talking about an, an, a, like an anchorage. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's different. You're comparing oranges and apples there. Well, well not, not really because I'm talking about buying... I'm talking the access to buy blocks of, of square meters of land. Okay, because so, you, I mean, you're saying you're saying $150 per square meter. I could buy a, a house for that in Perifetical Sur, like in the sticks. I could buy a house for sixteen thousand dollars. 
uh, it would be like a 90 square meter house, but it's, it's a house. <laughs> okay. So, so yeah. now uh, to extend the example, we talk about a family that's living week to week, paycheck to well, half paycheck to half paycheck, mm. and they have no chance of saving money because it's just, um, it's just impossible surprises. So to be able to save, you know, what could be, uh, let's say, six months worth of money to put down for an informal loan to get a block of land um, and then have to go through the process of building a house or something, like even to go really cheap, like entry level, compared to collecting your points and your social system and then going and getting a loan that you can't afford to then have a house in, in an over, overpriced suburb, it's like that's accessible compared to something that's cheap but not accessible. Mm. Well, I mean, and, and to take the example to a, a bigger scale, it's like $7 per square meter compared to $150 per square meter within, uh, within a half an hour drive. It's like yeah. there's an entry for an investor compared to someone that's like living with a family. There's like no access. So, you know, we're talking about people that have money can invest and make more money. Like if you and I could put together 200 grand, we could open up our own estate. <laughs> All right, and build a bunch of houses, Aaron. Build a whole lot of houses. <laughs> you know, sign a few contracts with a bank and all of a sudden, you know, we never work ever again. And, like, and that's, you know, that's pretty not, not that, that's not that big a group when you're talking about putting together your super fund mm. and investing in some land or a real asset. Mm. I know Mexico is very up and down like that. So there's a lot of examples, a lot of potential if you're here, you're here to invest. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I mean, there's a, there's yeah. a lot going on. I think, yeah, if you have a bit of money come to Mexico, you could probably uh, like buy a, buy a lot of land, buy a lot of real estate. Of course, it still takes it. It still takes um, a bit of savvy and a bit of uh, hard work looking through all these properties. But uh, you know, when you, like I said, you can buy a you can buy a kind of cheap and nasty cookie cutter property for sixteen thousand dollars. And here around El Centro, you could probably buy, a, if you found the right deal, you could probably buy a house for 100000 or 150000 and, uh, you know, rent it, rent it out for hundreds of dollars a month, uh, like, you know, $800 a month or something, and you'd be doing all right. <laughs> it really takes investing to, the, to like a hands-on level because it's just so, such a cowboy world out here, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah. And learning the language because mm. it's, uh, well, firstly, you're dealing with Spanish and then it's like a different, um, I guess, business in, in business in Mexico is always going to be a little bit, a little bit, uh, you know, on your riskier level, I guess. <laughs> I, I quite enjoy it. I mean, I'm, you know, it's a good learning curve. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I think about, um, Someone told me the other day that it could probably get a, a, a two-bedroom apartment for like 3,000 pesos, like, like 220 Australian dollars a month. And I know that if I, if I got it in the right area, like somewhere near Chapultepec, which is a nice area, but um, just to the north of that, it's, it's, uh, like it's a lot cheaper, but still, still close to a nice area. And, uh, yeah, you get a place here for 3,000 pesos, maybe 3,000 pesos a month rented. And then you can rent out the second bedroom to people on Airbnb and you'll probably pay your rent and then some. 
Yeah, VR, right? <laughs> it, I mean, I, I quite like the, um, like the idea because there's a lot of tourists coming to, to Guadalajara. Mm. It's, it's, quite a, it's quite a nice city. It's a safe city. It's big. There's a lot going on. Yeah, um, there's a lot of students too. Students come from, um, well, students come from all over the world to study here. You, yeah. So it's quite feasible. I mean, you could set that up quite easily. Mm. Um, one thing, um, I mean, just, I mean, just coming back to the, the asset idea, I mean, just yeah. the, the idea of, of putting together something of value. Mm. And, you know, we're not, we're not talking about ways of, of uh, investing to get rich. Like, not, not now. It's like we seem like there's, a, there, there's a, a time when we want to try and hang on to what you've put together. Like, if you've, you've worked... Um, I mean, in my case, I've worked nearly 15 years and, you know, the little that you've saved over that time in between adventures and everything like that, mm. it's like, you know, I want to hang on to this because, you know, I don't want to start from scratch again. Mm. Like the majority of the world is starting from scratch. So they've got even less to invest and they want to invest in something that's going to hold value over, over their, you know, short term uh, or, you know, over their life. So, you know, they're looked after as well. The, the issue is the characteristics of, of value in the biggest asset that most of us hold, which in Mexico is pretty cash in your wallet, um, <laughs> has interest in behavior, depending <laughs> on, you know, politics and, you know, central bank behavior and, and whatever. Yeah. So, um, which is, is interesting because um, the question comes up, well, you know, how, how is my money behaving? And in most cases, it's going to be, uh, you know, most of us are on the urge of, of what a lot of us believe to be like a, an inflationary period of, of, uh, mm. of currency. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a lot uh, of central banks pumping out that money. And that's, uh, yeah, that's, we, we keep coming back to that point that it's important. Uh, yeah. So the thing is on, on the other side, you have Bitcoin and some manners of speaking, you could call it deflationary, but it's, it actually, it is inflating because every time uh, someone mines a block, it spits out 25 Bitcoins, but that amount gets less and less over time. So uh, in, in that sense, it's, it's deflationary because the inflation is actually fixed. It's, it's got a cent limit and there's like, if somebody needs to print some more Bitcoins, well, they're, you know, they're out of luck. <laughs> you just can't do it. It's not going to happen. It's locked in at, at 21 million mm. uh, and that's it. I mean, for, for the meantime, I think there's, there's a handful of people that are investing in, in a, a Bitcoin or, a, you know, a certain amount of, mm. of Bitcoins, which, they, which they're going to use and spend and hold as they, as they like. But as soon as there's no more of these, mm. then it's not like, you know, we can go and, and mine more silver or, you know, recycle gold. Mm. It's like that. That is it. This is a, a fixed algorithm crypto. Yeah. So it's like you're going to hold an actual thing that's not going to that's going to be one of a set. And uh, I was interested. I read an article saying that there's the the large. Well, there is a large majority of bitcoins, early bitcoins, that are just non-accounted for. It's people have have lost them, or they're missing, or they're you know on a yeah, on well, a laptop in a dump somewhere. Yeah, yeah, there's that. And the, the first million Bitcoins, so they're, at the moment there are about 13 million in existence, but the first million of those, nobody knows where they are because those were the ones mined by Satoshi Nakamoto, the, the creator or creators of, of Bitcoin. 
and nobody knows where they put them. Uh, perhaps they got rid of them or perhaps they're, they're still holding on to them. Uh, I, I actually, I, I doubt very much that, uh, that Satoshi Nakamoto still holds on to these Bitcoins because if, if he really was uh, thinking of holding on to them for profit, he probably would have made his move by now when, you know, when they went up to um, like 16, like $1,300 last year. Unless he's a time traveler <laughs> and he's quite aware that he's going to go much higher. <laughs> or, I mean, we say much higher in a, on a dollar yeah. value, but there's Maybe many companies. They go up to $10,000 or, or $50,000 and then Satoshi Nakamoto buys the entire world. Well, that's, that's just <laughs> relative value. But, I mean, what happens when people don't want? They don't want dollars anymore. He's going to have to trade them through one of these companies that offer you something else. Mm. Um, but, I mean, this, this came about because we were talking about, you know, the, the difference between an inflationary type money and a deflationary type money. Um, and, and that was all about, well, you know, why don't you just print more money and, and give it to people? Mm. I mean, uh, at one point I had my words around the wrong way and I was like, well, maybe, maybe quantitative easing isn't such a bad thing if right. the right people got the money. Right. Yeah, well, that's, I, I saw one episode of the Kaiser Report where somebody was on there suggesting that instead of giving this money to a lot of big banks, giving them bailouts and negative interest loans and all this crazy stuff you can actually just get, like give everybody some of the money uh which uh i think it's a better idea than giving it to a bunch of uh rich assholes and may, maybe don't don't need any more money or, or you know they they don't deserve to have money that's in, indirectly stolen from the entire populace. <laughs> I, I don't think it would be actually productive to print money and give it to everybody because that would just mean that people would spend it as soon as they got it. And that would mean the, well, the velocity and, and the supply of money increases and instantly the value has gone down. It might even lead to hyperinflation it's a little risky. If, depending on the culture and, and certain other aspects. Yeah, yeah a, good, so, a good example just to, mm. to follow that, is uh, what happened with, with Ford, the car manufacturing company of um, North America. Uh, they, the amount of money that was bailed or, bail, or their bailout, bailed into that company, mm. would have been enough. Because, I mean, the original issue was, you know, you need to bail us out, otherwise we're going to have thousands of employees with no jobs and that's going to shock. Was this Ford or was it General Motors? Or maybe it was uh, both, actually. Actually, I'm going to say no, sorry, General Motors. We're talking about the, the billions of dollars that went into to bailing out that company mm. would have been enough to give every single employee that would have lost their job millions of dollars. <laughs> millions of dollars. Like, you know what? You don't even need to work anymore. Yeah. Every employee just won the lotto. <laughs> and that's essentially the check that was written. It was, a, it was the same amount. Wow. And, um, you know, and I don't see any innovation. Yeah, I don't see yeah. any research and development. Well, I, I don't think any spectacular innovations are going to be coming from General Motors anytime soon. I think they'll probably collapse before that happens. Well, yeah, yeah, I, I got <laughs> nothing to say about that. <laughs> um, but I mean, you know, that's the outcome of a of a bailout. Mm. I mean, you know, how much does it cost to keep a, a business like that running, and then <laughs> to to pump them a little extra money and for for nothing uh, nothing new to come about? And yeah. I, I don't think it saved the economy either. 
<laughs> no, it definitely did that. Well, that's one thing that comes up a lot uh, listening to like Peter Schiff. He he keeps saying uh, on the media, he, uh, they they say, oh, there's green shoots, the, the economy is recovering. And Schiff says, no, it's all phony. It's all false. It's just this, this ephemeral uh, appearance of a, an economy recovering. It's actually just being stimulated by all of this quantitative easing. And it's not actually real growth. There's there's no innovation. There's no production. There's no manufacturing Im- improving in the United States. And when when uh, something um, happens to set off the the next uh, collapse, perhaps something like this this problem with the the baby boomers retiring and cashing in their 401ks and their, well, the social security as well, I suppose, because that's a, that's another problem. Um, so when that happens, uh, maybe it's going to set, set off a, a kind of chain reaction with the, with the economy of the United States collapsing. And the, the expression is when the United States sneezes, everybody gets a cold. Well, hopefully not because China's got their own international transfer money system now. Mm. So uh, hopefully there's, uh, there's some change. But why, do, why does that matter? Why does that, uh, like, are you saying that people will start trading in renminbi, in yuan, instead of US dollars? Well, I think, I, think that's, I think that's a major issue because most, I mean, we look at Latin America, for example. Mm. Everybody, as soon as, soon as anywhere, anywhere south of the, the border starts to tremble with economic issues, Every common folk run out of the street to go to go collect dollars, as in that's been the the programmed safe zone. Yeah, which you know is just buying the U.S. more time. But yes, yes. if there isn't any of these green shoots and no you know road to economic savior, yeah, uh, what is happening? <laughs> I have no idea. Wizards, magic show, <laughs> rabbits. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's, I don't it's know pretty what's good. Happening. It's a, <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty good show. We got uh, you know second row seats to the to the freak show right here. Well, I, <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, who, who was that? George Carlin. Excellent. Uh, he said, "Yeah, in the United States, you got front row tickets to the freak show, but we're, we're in Mexico." So, did you come across the article <laughs> where uh, a few people have wrote about it now? A few YouTube videos. That uh, that Russia and Mexico are talking about strengthening the the Mexican army or you know military force no. to um, because there's some awareness of some event that's going to happen in the U.S. and they don't want Americans citizens of the United States jumping in their SUVs and driving down to Mexico. Mm. So they're going to they're going to fort- they're going to fortify that that wall they built. I'm just happy wow. there's something already there. I mean, it's not it doesn't seem that crazy. You're happy something's already there to keep gringos out. No, it's just because Mexico never, I mean, you've seen the construction here in Mexico. I mean, at least there's something already there. It would never get finished. <laughs> I, I, just, I just don't think it would be a good thing for Mexico if you've got, you know, a few million SUVs coming down the street. <laughs> not, not, at one, not at once. <laughs> that's going to that's going to send up my fruit and vegetable prices. <laughs> Maybe because I mean all the all the people from the United States coming here, they won't be the rich ones. They'll have gas money and that's it. <laughs> so, so, so what does that mean? We need to set up businesses to give these guys jobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Yeah. 
take advantage of all the all the gringos coming down and put them to work. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> maybe maybe that's the answer to the uh, to the economic green shoots. Yeah, stimulating go shoots. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> go back to work. But uh, I mean, you, I catch a bus from here, and, and let's say we go look at some property. Mm. You know, we're looking at some. 10, 16, $20,000 blocks, mm. um, you know, just north or wherever, just outside Guadalajara. Mm. Um, you catch a, your normal bus, you're going to drive through many different various level, socioeconomic level communities. Mm. And nearly every single community has a main street. And it, like, it, it surprises me because I'm not used to driving, I'm not used to having a one-hour bus ride and seeing, you know, maybe 20 well-established microeconomies, you know, mm. you know, a set of, you know, your local hardware, your local corner store, your local laundromat, every single little community has them. And, yeah. I, and, and then I, I thought, you know what, if we were able to, let's, let's say, look at the contained area, like contained little community and measure how much money is going through there and just double it, then that would give people access to, to more. But then we have the, the other side where then, of course, you know, you increase the money supply, then the price of the, the assets or the price of the, the, the consumer products or the value in the area is also going to double. So it's, you're back yes. where you started. Yes, yes. And then, uh, and then I pose a question, well then, well, then why are we investing in stuff? And, and I mean, that's going to increase my, my personal uh, purchasing power. Mm. But um, isn't, is that like the, the 101 block for... Uh, for rebuilding the economy? What, by investing your own money? Yes. Okay. By, by looking after your own world, by investing your own money into your own assets and, and not worrying about like crisis. There's no crisis. I'm not going to experience any crisis. I'm, I'm solid. How do you know? <laughs> mm, well, the thing is you don't know. But I, <laughs> I just don't have any time to, to worry about you know, what's, what's going to happen. I'm not not the one. Is that why we're we're doing this episode so you can tell us actually you have absolutely no plan, no idea, no Uh, preparation? Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) Not at all. No, no. I, uh, well, I mean, it didn't, it didn't, there's no intention of going down this path. But um, I mean, I'm going through my notes here and, you know, you look at, you know, if if cheap credit is going to make expensive assets. Yeah. um, I can only look locally because I'm not the one printing all, you know, the trillions of dollars. And hand it out to you know to all my banker friends. Mm. That, that's not me. I'm I'm not the one that's got you know unlimited cash flow that I can do whatever I want. You know I'm I'm trying to build a business. I uh, I'm looking at you know where can I hold you know the currency that I'm holding at the moment. Where can I invest it in assets that might actually give me increased purchasing power, access to maybe buy you know a house in the future, mm. um, so that I can look after my family. I mean I just don't think the average person. Uh, well, I know the average person can't handle the stress if they knew everything that they probably should know, which is why the media is not going to cover all the topics. Hmm. So it's like, you know what, just don't worry about it. Just keep going back to work. We'll keep advertising that your super's fine and that there's not going to be any, any bail-in option. Best not to worry about it. You just continue business as normal. And, you know, when, and, when, and if anything does happen, it'll be too late. But I'm hoping nothing happens. I'm hoping it continues business as normal. I don't know. Every, everything is uncertain right now and uh, I'm not sure if it, 
everybody in the world really understands the extent of the situation and having a, a fiat currency that's been bumping out for 44 years, which uh, isn't backed by any asset. It's only backed by military force. I mean, that's uh, some kind of crazy Orwellian economy or I don't, I don't even know what you call that it's like some dystopian world economy where it's based on blood and oil it's a, it's a scary thought but that's the world we live in uh and <laughs> that's a terrible terrible idea to go oh, out on okay. that's, that's well, what well, we're about to finish dude, when you, when say something like, positive okay when, when you put it like that <laughs> you know maybe maybe it would be cool to be tyler durden you know on the the 20th 22nd floor looking at the credit companies yep. fall over and everything back you, to zero a, a few banks i mean there's gonna be people there's gonna be people zero. out of out of work but yeah. you know we've got a lot of rebuilding to do so it's not that bad yeah and, and there's gonna be a lot of bitcoin money to reinvest there's going to be a lot of people that's going to have value and it's going to want to rebuild yeah. a new world. So yeah. this, well, is, this is holiday time. This is a new world <laughs> on the, in, the, in the making. <laughs> well, an, another thing is about uh, robots. So robots are going to come in in a big way in the next few years. Like there's already some somewhat artificial intelligence robots. I mean, there's, everybody's familiar with Siri if they have an iPhone. But then there's uh, things there's in, in Japan, there's like a greeter robot it comes to the door of the, the store and, and tells you a few jokes and says, I, I love you or whatever. And uh, they're also used as companions for older people or, you know, disabled people or house ridden. And then um, then there are manufacturing robots, robots which, which can learn new things like Baxter. And, and then, of course, there are self-driving cars. So we're going to see not just self, not just like, overtaking the taxi industry we're going to see self-driving or autonomous vehicles like forklifts and and uh, mining equipment they're going to be overtaken by this and and this means this huge change in the economy it's going to be really disruptive uh it's also really exciting um and it also means that a lot of people are going to look for new ways to be productive because there have been so, so many resources freed up. It's going to probably mean a lot of pain in the short term for people who haven't prepared. But in the long term, it's going to be a beautiful and exciting world of technological wonder. Start creating content. Yeah. That, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's unique. Start yeah. building your, your brand. Start making, making a new world for, for you. Yeah, we're in the information age. Uh, okay, my name's Kurt Robinson. My name's Aaron Battle. We're the Paradise Paradox. Uh, thanks, and we'll talk to you next time. Uh, and press, press like, press subscribe on YouTube, on iTunes, on Pocket Casts. Leave us a comment on the website, theparadiseparadox.com. Check out the website. Yep. Uh, press like on Facebook and press the Get Notifications button because that will mean you'll get notified every time we post something really cool. And have a good one. Wash Hushingong. Press like on YouTube. Press like on Facebook.